0: Our scripture reading this evening is, is from Genesis 6, so just a, just a couple of chapters over from what we just read in Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, uh, beginning in verse 22, we're, we're going through a topical series, as you'll remember, on sort of the, the five essentials or the, the the basics of the Christian faith. And tonight we're looking at, at the issue of depravity, of, of sin, of, of why is it that, that the world is the way that it is? Why is it that we, we struggle... Uh, in our relationships with one another, uh, in our relationships to God, why is it that we struggle with with meaning, with purpose, with with all of these big issues? Uh, well, it's it's because it's because depravity has entered our world. It's because we're broken, and we see that this tonight in Genesis chapter six, uh, beginning in verse five. And this is God's word. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things. And birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50, 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark on its si- in its side. Make it with lower uh, with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life, under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into to the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Once again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is permanent. It stands forevermore. Now we all know that there's there's a problem with evil in our world and one of the ways that we know that is that every religion has to account for it somehow don't they hindus have have the concept of karma where if you do good then good things will happen to you in return and if you do bad then bad things will will happen to you islam teaches that there is punishment for doing evil and there's there's reward for doing good in the next life even atheists and secularists understand that there's, there's a problem of evil. They teach that if you, if you violate the social order, if you violate the, the agreed-upon uh, values of our society, then you'll be shamed mercil- mercilessly on social media, or you'll be uh, canceled, as it's often called. And all these have, have sort of a, a, a fear factor approach to them, don't they? That if you do wrong, then bad things are going to happen to you there's a sense in which christians uh agree with these other faiths there's a there's punishment for evil and there's there's reward for doing good we we heard this morning about about the the law of the lord and how it's how it's a good thing and how we should we should love god's law and desire to keep it however where we would disagree is with the suggestion that we all somehow have both sort of good and evil in us and we just need to to choose to do good we don't believe that there is this sort of yin and yang thing in us, or this light side, dark side battle being fought inside each of us, at least not in our most natural states. Christians believe that we're all, by nature, evil. I know that's a bit blunt to say, and I hope I don't offend you too much, but there you go. The Bible actually teaches that we're all all broken and given to evil. And I know that sounds offensive to all of us, And every one of us wants to think of ourselves as being a good person. Or at least not as bad as the the next guy. That's actually one of the ways evil ensnares us. Is by allowing us to think we're not that bad. And probably the hardest thing about scripture on this subject is that that it actually holds a mirror up to us. It allows us to to look at ourselves. To look at our humanity. And and, and for each and every one of us individually, it allows us to see our, our true selves and it isn't pretty but it's actually the first step towards true freedom and hope you've all probably heard of the, the group Alcoholics Anonymous it's, it's a highly respected organization isn't it? It's, it's a, it? it helps a lot of people to overcome alcohol addiction and maybe you've seen one of the meetings sort of portrayed on, on television or in a film where, where the first thing they, they have you do is when you go into this meeting you would say uh, you would identify yourself as, as an alcoholic it's the first step you know, so you would go and say, hi, I'm, I'm Rob, and I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And they say it's the, the hardest part of the process, actually. It's the biggest and most difficult step. But, but the remarkable thing in these meetings is once, once someone comes in and, and, and says that, and they're surrounded by this, this circle of people, and everyone says to them simply, hi, Rob. And in that moment, that, that person hears that they're, that they're accepted because they're amongst people like them who are are struggling to be made whole. And in the church, we aren't all alcoholics, but we are all sinners. We're equal opportunity at that. What Scripture calls us to is to to be able to to see our sin and to see ourselves for who and and what we are and to to admit that before God and to be able to to come before Him and come into His church and and bring all that, that brokenness and that ugliness and all the messes that we've made and, and actually be warmly welcomed by God's people because God welcomes back sinners. And this is what we see in our, our passage tonight. We actually see three things. And, and uh, I, was, I was on a bit of an economics kick this week, but, but here they are. One, we see macro-depravity. Secondly, we see micro-depravity. And then third, a very practical point, get on the ark. Get on the ark. So first we see uh, macro depravity. This is the one that we can all agree on. This is the one that we can all get behind. It's impossible to look around at our world and and not see evil in it, isn't it? In fact, that's why every religion has to account for it, even the non-religious. And what we tend to miss, though, is just how deep evil runs in our world. Let's look back at verses 5 and 6. This is what they say. They say, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his heart, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. There's really uh, two sweeping statements here, aren't there? That the heart of humanity is are, are, are the hearts of humanity are, are fully and completely corrupt. And the second is that it, it grieved God. When we think of the, the human heart, our, our modern Western minds uh, think of the emotions. You know, the heart's uh, thought to be simply the emotion factory of a person. It, it causes us to feel and to say things like, when that person broke up with me, it, it broke my heart. Which is a way of saying, uh, it made me really sad, but I'll get over it eventually when I meet someone better. Or another example would be uh, from the film The Godfather. You know, when The Godfather uses the term, I know it was you, Fredo, and you broke my heart. That's a way of him saying, you made me really angry when you did whatever it was you did, Fredo. So I'm going to send you on a fishing trip you may not come back from. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I should have said spoiler alert before that. But we we, we think of the heart as the emotion factory, don't we? That it's just the the thing that causes us to to feel. And when when it's broken, it's meant that we're experiencing some kind of negative emotion. Something that we don't like. But scripture uses the term uh, slightly differently, but significantly different. When Moses, the writer of Genesis, says the thoughts of the hearts of man were only evil continuously, he isn't referring only to emotions, but to the entire personhood. The heart of man in scripture is the mind, the body, the emotions, the spirit. It represents the full person. It isn't just the emotions, it's it's the thing that makes us, it's what makes us human. It's the thing that defines us. If the heart of man is only evil, then it means that we are evil. And the scriptures are literally telling us that we're fully and totally depraved people and the fact is we're we're willing to accept this about certain people aren't we you know if you if you you think about uh, hitler you know yeah we can believe he was totally depraved can't we we can believe that the, that that's maybe slaveholders they were they were totally depraved can't we we can believe that that people who abuse children or or murder or, or commit uh, acts of sexual abuse—they're—they're they're certainly totally depraved, aren't they? You see, we can look at our our uh, look on our world, and we, we see evil, and accept that this is is depravity, that there is depravity there, in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, on the macro level. But we separate ourselves out of that, don't we? We can accept macro depravity, depravity on a large scale, but we we can't accept that it's an absolute, universal. We can't accept that it's applicable to each and every one of us. But if it isn't universal, as God says here, if the hearts of man aren't corrupt, then what separates the really evil people from you and I? Well, from a a purely worldly standpoint, I would suggest only one thing that separates you and I from really bad people, and that's actually inconsistency in the application of shared values. And here's what I mean by that. That sounds that sounded way worse than when I wrote it. But but here's what I mean. And I'll, I'll give you two kind of obvious examples. Um, why were the Nazis able to take power in Germany in the 1930s? And why were they able to, to kill millions of Jews and, and wreak havoc all across Europe? Was it because a, a few misguided people let the baddies have their way? Or was it because their hearts were deceived and, and large populations of people started started calling good evil and evil good? See, Genesis 6 offers us the answer to that question. It's because if, if all of our hearts are, are 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 corrupt, then isn't it very evil, easy for evil to take over? And for us even to be contributing factors in that. The second example is probably a, a little more relevant or a little more recent. Why is it that men who who owned and, and purchased... And transported and sold slaves were given statues that many would now like to see torn down. And I'm not commenting on the rightness or wrongness of, of leaving them up or taking them down. I'm not making a political point. I'm simply asking the question, how did we get here? Perhaps the best better question is, how did whole populations allow how how did whole populations allow for the, the practice of slavery to happen in the first place? And then to honor those those people who, who led the practice. We could say that they just overlooked it, but that would be naive. You no, know, Genesis 6 gives us the answer, doesn't it? It's the best answer. Evil operates on a macro level. It touches the hearts of every single person. All of us are corrupt. Big evils happen because our hearts are corrupt to allow them to happen. Even if we aren't the main driver. And even if we aren't the main driver, does that make us... Any better? You see, we're able to, to accept that to to a certain extent. There, there's there's macro depravity out there, but I, I want to suggest that we're also quite naive about it. We often assume that we're we're we we are becoming more enlightened and increasingly morally superior to those who came before us, but that's not what Genesis six presents us with, does it? Genesis six says that we are are all wholly corrupt. And this is why we have to understand our second point, which is micro-depravity. And again, I'll define micro-depravity as very simply everyday sinfulness. Those little things that we do that we think aren't that big a deal because we're not Hitler, we're not slave traders, we're not, you know, whatever. All the little things you do or fail to do that allow evil to prosper in our world. What Genesis 6 tells us is that your heart is so corrupt that you can't even begin to see just how corrupt it is. If God wasn't there to tell you, then you'd, you'd think you were particularly wise and good. Uh, many of you have seen the film, perhaps, A, a Beautiful Mind. Uh, it's probably about 20 years old now, maybe, maybe more. Um, but it's a story of a mathematician from, from America called uh, John Nash. And he was a, a brilliant economist. And uh, he, he was also, unbeknownst to his friends and, and even his wife, uh, a paranoid schizophrenic. And eventually everyone is, uh, else catches on to, to this, and, and even he himself didn't realize this about himself. Uh, and there's this scene in the film, though, where, where he's confronted by a psychiatrist. And, and, and he's telling him he needs to be institutionalized to receive proper treatment for this, this disease in his brain that's causing his condition. And Nash refuses, saying that, that, that he'll cope on his own because he can overcome the condition by using the power of, of his mind. And the response of the doctor is, but, but John, the problem is in your mind. Now, again, spoiler alert, the film ends, of course, with, with him kind of overcoming his deep-rooted problems and, and the message is that you can overcome anything if you believe in yourself and you have internal strength and proper support. Now most of us come to religion, be it Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, Atheism, or Christianity, looking for that little edge, aren't, don't we? We want that self-improvement. We recognize that there's, there's a, a, a problem in us, that there's something wrong, and, and we think that we just need that, that internal strength and proper support. What Scripture says is that that isn't enough, and it will never be enough. Because the problem is inside you. And the problem is inside of everyone who, who offers you support. It's spread to every fiber of your being. It's, it's spread to every fiber of, of, of our humanity. And there isn't enough strength in you. And there isn't enough external inspiration to set it to rights. And that's the message of verse 5 in our passage. That you are, are far more broken than you ever thought possible. And the bad news... Only gets worse in verse six, as we're told that all this evil in the the hearts of man uh, grieved God, and made Him regret that He had made man. Now, when Scripture says uh, says this about God, it's it's assigning human attributes to God to help us uh, relate and understand Him. The technical term for it is is anthropomorphism. It's a big word. You don't need to write that one down. But the point of it is, is simply this: the that that uh, it, 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 the scripture is doing this so that we can see the impact of our sin on our relationship to God it breaks that relationship doesn't it and if we, if we leave someone sad and grieving over the things we've done then we've, we've create, created a relational barrier haven't we between us and them we see that in our natural human relationships it's, it, Genesis 6 says it's the same in our relationship to God Last week we said that God made us and, and he made us to know him and to be known by him. And what we learned this week is that in and of ourselves, we, we can't fulfill that purpose. We can't fulfill the purpose for which we were created because we have separated ourselves from him by nature. And the result is being that, 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 uh, uh, that we have made ourselves God's enemies. And we've subjected ourselves to divine wrath you notice that's exactly what god says if you look at verse 7 that he was so grieved by sin that he decided he couldn't tolerate its presence in his world and so he would blot it out he would destroy it and that meant destroying humanity see as much as we want to protest against this idea and as, as difficult as it is for us to to believe i think I think deep down we know that we're broken even if we, we struggle to, to fully grasp the depths of that brokenness. What I want to suggest is that the Christian view makes, makes far more sense of the world than anything else out there because it alone can explain why everything is the way that it is. Here's what I mean by that. We can, we can look around at, at crime or poverty or war and we can recognize that our world is broken on some level, but it's often easy for us to overlook our place in it all. So let me offer a, a small example, uh, uh, perhaps even a slightly, uh, a slightly uh, silly example of our, our sin's impact on the world that we, that we see in this passage. See, it's not only our relationships to one another that are broken, is it? But it's, it's the creation that's broken. The, the world is broken. You notice in verse 7 that, that God's judgment extends not only to man, but to all the animals. And he, he names them, animals, birds, creeping things, everything that God had made. See, there's a conne- connection between between nature and humanity. It was made for us. We saw that in Genesis 2 tonight when we, we read it earlier, that, that, that God had created this this world, this nature, beautiful and wonderful and useful for us. And our brokenness is extended to all the earth. And, and here's what that looks like. Uh, a few years ago, uh, David Attenborough uh, uh, produced the program Blue Planet 2. And, and Blue Planet 2 made us uh, really conscious of, of, of our society's impact on, on, with, on, on the oceans, through, through the plastics that we use and, and dispose of every day. So now there's this, this big push, isn't there, for us to, to recycle and to, to use less plastic. And that's not bad. And I'm not saying that, trying to suggest that that's bad. But what, we, what, what, do we, what do we use instead? We have to use something, don't we? Biodegradable paper. And then we run into the problem in, uh, in, in the next uh, David Attenborough series of, of deforestation because of all the, the, the paper products that we use. And most of us at some point have have probably thrown away a a plastic bottle thinking one won't hurt. But when billions of people are throwing away a plastic bottle thinking one won't hurt, it starts to hurt. And I'm not trying to... Well, I am trying to make us feel guilty to a certain extent, but what I want us to see is that, that we actually contribute to the brokenness of our world without even realizing it. And I'm not trying to say we should recycle more or we should use less plastic. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is is actually, it's impossible for us to fix this. It's impossible for us to make it fully right, isn't it? See, I want us to see that, that we are each just one broken person. And we may think we're not as bad as the next one, and that, that may be true on, on, to a certain extent. We may not be as bad as the next, but in our hearts we are. And every single day we're contributing to the net brokenness of our world. And we can't escape it. When it comes to your righteousness before God, it's it's much the same as your recycling habits. You may be able to say I, I've never murdered someone, but we've all done tremendous harm to others by by the things we ha- we've said, by the words that have come out of our mouths. And Christ says that's the the same as murdering them. We're 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 we're, we're all running a righteousness debt. Understand what I'm trying to get at here. It's it's good to try and and. And take care of the environment, and it's good to try to be nice to people. But it isn't enough, is it? We can created and contributed to these issues, perhaps, quote unquote, innocently. But that's that's the point Scripture is making. We think we're we're we we think we're just, you know, mistake prone, innocently uh, uh, causing bad things to happen. But what Scripture says is we aren't innocent at all. When scripture says our hearts are evil, what it means is that we can't unbreak our world and we can't fix ourselves. We're born this way. It's our factory default setting. And even our our good intentions will result in evil even if we don't see it immediately before us. So what do we do about this then? It's been a pretty depressing sermon up till now, hasn't it? What do we do about this? Well, that, that's actually our, our third point this evening. What do we do? We, we get on the ark. Get on the ark. We have to look outside of ourselves, don't we, and, and find help from the one who made us and who saves us. Look at verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the natural question ought to be, what did Noah do to find favor in the eyes of God? And this passage has been, been studied by scholars and theologians for for thousands of years. And the only answer to that question anyone can come up with is nothing. Noah did absolutely nothing to win God's favor. It is a simple statement of fact. There's no secret sauce. Noah didn't do anything. He simply found favor in the eyes of God. It doesn't say Noah made extra sacrifices to God to keep him happy. It doesn't say that Noah gave money to the poor. Every indication was that that Noah was an average guy who God chose to show favor to. And notice what Noah doesn't do in that moment. When God says to him, Noah, there's going to be a flood, build an ark. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't stop and say, hmm, well, I've never fancied myself to be a shipbuilder. I'm not sure that's, that's who I am. And I really think I, I can be a better person if I'm my authentic self. No point does Noah say that. That would be like one of us standing on the, the beach and seeing a, a tsunami, a tidal wave, building off the coast and someone yelling, run, and us saying, well, I've never really been much of an athlete. I don't think that, that the running culture is, is really who I am. So I'll I'll walk, thanks. You see, when faced with with certain peril, who we are gets stripped away. and It simply comes down to, do you want to live or do you want to die? See, the point being made here is, is pretty straightforward, isn't it? In a world that is completely broken, that is full of evil and awfulness, we are in tremendous peril, and we're not able to save ourselves and it requires the intervention of God to bring us any hope at all of being restored to a right relationship with him that's that's what god showed noah and it's important for us to recognize just how difficult this grace was noah had to noah had to build an ark he had to build this massive boat while being mocked by those around him for for years it took a long time and then he was trapped on this boat uh probably a stinking boat when he got all the animals on it while it rained for 40 days and nights and then he was on this boat for around a year while he and his family uh, waited for the waters to recede as it floated along on this, this incredible sea that filled the whole earth. It's not such a nice story, is it? We present it to our children as, well, hey, look, kids, there, there's a boat with lots of animals on it. Isn't, isn't that fun? Yay! But it's actually a, a story of wrath with tiny seeds of Grace. Uh, the, the artist Gustav Dor actually captures the scenes quite dramatically in his, his illustrated Bible. You should you should Google it. Uh, he captures it really, really well visually. You see, we may distract our children from the, the carnage, but it, let's not be distracted ourselves from the message. Because what, what we see here is a mirror being held up to our own hearts. And it's not pretty, but it's true. We're not okay. We're sinners. We're under God's divine wrath unless he does something to save us. This is hard for us to hear and to accept. And some even want to protest and say that that the the God of the New Testament isn't isn't like that. Jesus is all about forgiveness and love and and patience. In actual fact, Jesus affirms this entire episode. This whole thing we've been looking at tonight, this, this, this entire episode, Jesus affirms it and actually uses it as a solemn warning in Matthew 24. And the context is, uh, is, is Jesus is explaining to his disciples about uh, when he'll return as judge uh, over the earth and what it what will what it'll be like. And he explains it in Matthew 24 uh, that it's going to be similar to the judgment in Noah's day. Uh, beginning in verse 36, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few, a few verses here, 36 through 39, Matthew 24. Here's what it says. But concerning that day, that is the, the, the day of, of Christ's return, and hour, no one knows but even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unsure, unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now did you catch that? Jesus actually affirms the judgment of God in Noah's day. And not only that, he says that it's 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 going to be like that again when Jesus comes back to judge. Now, I don't tell you that with glee or in judgment of you, but I tell you this for the same reason Jesus said it as a solemn warning. And the calling is to get on the ark. Get on the ark. And the ark is Christ Jesus, isn't it? He's the one who, who protects us from the wrath of God. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that it, it's soberly honest with you about who you are. And it's not an act of cruelty to say these things. It's, a, it's actually an act of, of God's grace. Grace isn't easy, even though it's free. It wasn't easy for Noah, but he still and he still didn't earn it, and neither do you or I. But but what the gospel of God's grace does for us is that. It, it, it allows us to be honest about who we are. I'm nothing more than a, a, than a broken, sinful man like, like you. Now, if I can be thankful for anything, it's that I have a loving Savior, Jesus Christ, who walked through the flood of God's wrath for my sins so that I could be counted as part of God's family. The gospel allows us to be honest about ourselves, but it also allows us to live in peace with God because of what Christ has done. That's a calling for each of us tonight, to get on the ark, to, to be found in Christ Jesus when the flood comes, when the wrath of God is poured out. So here at Grace Church, we're a bunch of good, we, we aren't a bunch of good people doing good things. And we aren't a bunch of people who have it all together and, and want to help you get it together too. Are actually a bunch of broken people being uh, entering the safety of the Ark of Jesus, Christ Jesus. And our hope and our prayer is that, that, uh, that you'll come with us, that you'll enter the safety of the Ark of Christ Jesus, and, 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 and uh, that, that our community and, and even the whole world will come to know the joy of being found in Jesus, because he is the only true and great hope that we have. Let us pray.